This is In the Studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for listening in today to the podcast. Uh, we're connecting with Michael via Zoom today, as so many of us have to do during these COVID-era times. So I'm glad we have this opportunity to connect, Michael. And you're going to take us back to the Biblical Imagination Conference. We heard from you last week, Teach from the Conference. We're going to continue that this time. Yeah, we're going to look at my uh, favorite story from Luke. Maybe my favorite story from the life of Jesus is Jesus and the Centurion. Oh, yeah. I love this story. Yeah, yeah. Look forward to that. That's coming up in just a moment. And I'll tell you right now that if you have a uh, an opportunity to open the scripture with us, uh, you want to turn to Luke chapter 7, where Michael will begin, and uh, he'll be going uh, through several verses there. All right, that's coming up in the first half of our program in a moment. In the second half of our program today, given the recent passing of J.I. Packer, and what a great uh, man of God uh, yeah. he was to us, uh, knowing God and so many other great books and writings that he did. But he's with the Lord now, but we reach back into the archive because you, we had him on this program years ago, and we're going to replay that conversation. Yeah, what an incredible, sweet, uh, sweet man he is. My my one time meeting him, I was teaching at Regent when he was there, and I had a headache. <laughs> and he found out, and he brings me aspirin. Is that right? Yeah, and I don't know, <laughs> that, that sounds like a small thing, but getting aspirin from Jab Packer... <laughs> That's yeah. pretty cool. In fact, yeah. I wish I had not taken them and it just saved them. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> well, I have to say that in the conversation we're going to hear in the second half with J.I. Packer, there are some surprises. You may not know this about J.I. Packer. You'll yes. have to stay tuned to find out what it is, but that's, that's yeah, coming up. You, 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 will, you will never guess what one of his favorite things is. <laughs> and then we'll hear there. more of your music in the second half of our podcast here today in the studio with Michael Card. But Michael, let's begin with that teaching Again, Luke chapter 7 is where we begin. When Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Capernaum, as far as we know, is, is, is he relocates. It's referred to as his hometown. One, at one place, Nazareth is referred to as his home, hometown. Otherwise, when it says that, it's Capernaum. So apparently he relocates there. Most people like to think he lived with Peter. We don't know. He's always in Peter's house, so we just don't know. Maybe he's, I mean, he's a builder. Maybe he built, him a, you know, built himself a house. We just don't know. And also, you need to know that uh, recent excavations, they have found a Roman military installation just on the other side of the fence on the Greek Orthodox side. So this works. There's a Roman military presence there. So the centurion being there makes perfect sense. They got a camp there, a permanent camp. Uh, there a centurion's servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. Now that is a tip-off right there because Romans were notoriously cruel slave masters. And the fact that this guy cares about his slave shows that something's going on. He has been impacted by the God of Judaism. Now, does Judaism um, abolish slavery? No. Provision is made in the law. In fact, the first block of commandments after the Ten Commandments. The first block is taking care of slaves, is to protect slaves, okay? So uh, is there slavery in Israel? Absolutely, it's fairly benign. But Roman slavery is kind of a different deal. And uh, this guy is probably a God-fearer. He has made a commitment to Judaism, uh, not, a full, not a full proselyte, but a God-fearer. And we'll meet a lot of them in Acts. So his servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jew to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves. Now that is Judaism. Why should you do this? Well, he deserves it. He's righteous. Right? That's Judaism in a nutshell. This man deserves to have you do this. He loves our nation, and he's built our synagogue, and the foundations of that synagogue are still there. They're black basalt uh, foundations. They built a, a synagogue on top of it. And one of the new theories, and they're always coming up with new theories, one of the new theories is that uh, white, I don't think it's marble, it's some kind of limestone or something. But anyway, the new theory is that was a Christian synagogue. Capernaum was a, you know, very, became a very Christianized area still Jewish, right? And so the synagogue is a Christian synagogue because it shows, uh, if I had my pictures, I could show you 
um, they were very careful to, like the steps, the original basalt steps that went into the old synagogue, when they put new steps in, the new steps don't touch the old steps. They cut them out. So people are going, why, why in the world did they do that? And they, they, don't even, they can't understand why they kept the old foundations because the old foundations are, all, are out of line. And when you look at the pictures, you can see that the new, the new wall is kind of, at this point, it's this far off, and at this point, it's flush. And you go, why didn't they just do new foundations? Why do they keep the old foundations? The, the idea is, and these are just archaeologists trying to figure it out. They so revered that foundation and those original steps, they left them and built the synagogue on top. Which, you know, what's my academic reason? I really want it to be true, because I think it's a really cool idea. <laughs> a lot of people get PhDs, you know, on, on the same sort of academic foundation. They just really want it to be true. So he deserves to have you do this. So Jesus went with him. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to him to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself. I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Okay. Uh, so the, you start to see the contrast. You know, you need to do this. He deserves it. And Jesus goes, yeah, okay, I'll go with you. You know, Jesus doesn't make the point. Oh, no, it's not about deserving anything. I'm going to go help. This slave's sick. I'll go help him. And the, the centurion, who is clearly a remarkable person, um, thinks about it. He goes, no. You, you, hey, guys, go tell them before they get here. Go tell them. I don't deserve to have you come to my house. And we all know that. Like Cornelius, right, who was another centurion. Uh, Jews don't go into to Gentile homes. You know why? Because Gentiles uh, uh, practiced abortion. And abor every, every Gentile home was looked upon as a tomb. In Judaism, so we don't go. No, we don't go in Gentile homes. Okay. Um, I, oh, oh, let me sidebar. Centurion, uh, you got to think about this for just a second. This man has risen in the ranks, but you have to you have to realize this is ancient warfare. Uh, where I used to live, my next door neighbor was an operator for Oliver North. He got a snake tattooed one, up one arm and and goes down this arm. Got earrings. He's got scars all over where he's been stabbed and shot, okay? He had holes, you know, white holes in his leg. I go, you know, what's it like being shot? He goes, it makes you really mad. <laughs> okay? So I know this centurion. He's my neighbor. This guy has known ancient warfare. He has almost certainly killed people with his bare hands, right? He's got his... He's got a dagger on one side and a gladius on the other side. He is, this is a bad dude. This is a Navy SEAL on 11, okay? And yet, he has been impacted by the God of Israel. And uh, yeah, that's the sidebar. So I picture him like missing, missing an ear, maybe an eye, or maybe a finger or two. This guy has known ancient warfare. Okay, so he sends word to Jesus um, I, don't, uh, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. Again, this is a very powerful and very important man. And he goes, to, he's humble. I, I wasn't, I'm not worthy to come to you. That's why I sent the Jewish elders to you. I, uh, okay, and here's a little lecture on authority from a Roman centurion. This is pretty cool. Uh, for I myself am a man under authority. With soldiers under me. I tell this one, go. You better believe he goes. Right? There's no question. In fact, here's another sidebar. Um, you know the word decimate? We use that word. That means you blow up, a, a bomb goes off. It decimates the building. Right? That's not what it originally meant. It's a Roman military term. Decimation was a Roman military uh, practice. Deca. You hear deca. Ten. The word ten is in there. And if a legion performed poorly in battle, uh, it, it, the order could come down that they'd be decimated. That doesn't mean they're, they're wiped out. That means they line up and they count off. You know how soldiers do? One, two, three, four, ten. Every tenth person steps forward. And on an order from the commanding officer, there are two different versions of it. Uh, and the one I like better is they, on, on the order from the commanding officer, they fall on their swords and kill themselves. The other version is the nine guys beat the one guy to death. Yeah. And the nine guys have to eat carob pods as for the rest of the week, and they can't stay in the camp. That's their punishment. But the point is, when this guy says he understands authority, believe me, 
he understands authority. If he's given the command to fall on his sword, he'll do it, mm. right? So we, again, we think about Navy SEALs or special ops guys. That's the closest we've got. Um, and the amazing thing is he says, I, I know about authority and you've got it. That's, that's what's so cool. That's why I love this guy. Again, he lives next door to me, so I know, I know him pretty well. Um, I tell you, let's go. And he goes, come and he comes. I tell my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. What just happened? What amazed him, right? I don't think this, this is a unique statement, too. Nothing like this is said of Jesus anyplace else. And let me tell you what I think amazed Jesus. This man is asking Jesus to do something he acknowledges he's not worthy for him to do. And Jesus goes, wow, I'm not worthy. Can you, I'm not, you, don't even come to my house, but you got authority, so just say the word. Jesus goes, whoa, this guy gets it. See, what he's asking for is hesed. He's asking for grace and mercy, and he is confident that Jesus is going to give it to him. He's confident that Jesus has the power. He doesn't have to come to his house and lay hands on the guy to heal him, right? Jesus didn't have to do that. He doesn't have to be there. Go home. Your servant's well. Go home. You know, your child is well, right? No rules. He got no rules. He doesn't have to use mud to heal somebody's eyes, right? No rules. And uh, I think that's what amazed him. And this is, a, this is uh, in this collection of stories of unorthodox, paradoxical things that have to do with Jesus. And here's a Gentile who gets it when nobody else gets it. The elders don't get it. He gets it. He can ask for what he doesn't deserve. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you want what you deserve? No. Trust. Yeah. You don't want what you deserve. No. I want what I don't deserve. And what I get from this, from Jesus, I think Jesus says, you know, come to me confidently ask, you know, ask. That's, that's the heart of God, right? Ask for what you don't deserve. Why do we keep playing that game like we could deserve things? Yeah, stop, time to stop playing that game. Okay, so that's, that's, that's one of, the, that's one of the, my favorite stories in there. Uh, next, uh, Jesus' power over death, uh, over the death-impregnated world. He wins, he wins praises for God. We're going to look at that in, in a minute. We're going to look at the unmiraculous miracles of Jesus in a minute. Um, the, uh, let's look at... Um, 18 through 21, 7, 18 through 21, I refer to it as, as the most staggering question in the New Testament. Okay? And this is all part of the paradoxical, unorthodox, haven't we seen remarkable things? John's disciples told him about these things, these things that Jesus was doing, that he was raised, he just raised someone from the dead. Calling two of them, he sent them to ask the Lord. First of all, where's John? He's in prison, okay? What's he in prison? Is he in prison for doing something bad? No, he's in prison for doing the right thing. Okay, he's been speaking against this adulterous relationship that, uh, that Philip has with, or Herod has with Philip's wife or something like that. Okay, so he's in prison. Here's that Jesus is doing all these amazing things. What's happened to John? I'll tell you what happened to John. Jesus has failed to meet his expectations. Do you think he ever conceived that he would end his life having his head chopped off and given to a dancing girl? I mean, he, he has been obedient. He has done the work, right? He has impacted the, you know, you know. John, uh, Jesus will say, there's no one greater born of man than John the Baptist, right? And yet he's about to die this ludicrous death and uh, probably knows it. So my note says... This is the most remarkable question in the New Testament. John knew who Jesus was in utero. Right? Mary comes to visit Elizabeth. Elizabeth goes, whoa. Baby leapt for joy. Because he recognized the dignity of Jesus before he was even born. He hears the voice of God say, this is my beloved son. He sees the Holy Spirit. This is like a dove. John and their cousins. You do know their cousins. They're related to each other. So... He's the last person that should have, whose expectations should have been failed to, met, to have been met, right? 
if there's any, if, if there's a person who shouldn't have asked this question, it's John the Baptist, and here he is. And so part of this unorthodoxy, paradoxical world that's kind of forming around Jesus is the very person who should get it just doesn't get it. John the Baptist doesn't get it, okay? So are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? And that, that should break your heart. Uh, when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, and they're going to re- re- repeat it, <laughs> are you the one who was to come, or should we look for, or expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits. He gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. These are all classic signs of the Messiah. Um, the deaf hear... Wait, 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 wait. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is preached to the poor. And here comes a little Baroka. Blessed is the man who does not, and it's the word scandalon, who doesn't fall away because of me. And that image, we get our word scandalized from it. What it means is to fall over a stone to trip over a stone. So blessed is the man who doesn't trip over me, okay? Blessed, and, and so why would Jesus give him that blessing? Because John's tripped, <laughs> right? John has stumbled because Jesus has failed to meet his expectation. Is that because there's anything wrong with Jesus? No, John's expectations were wrong. And ours are, are often wrong. See, he's the stone that makes men stumble, the rock that makes them fall. Very important for Peter. But I, I tend to think, no, John has stumbled because he, Jesus, he, he, he thought Jesus was going to come get me out of prison. He's the Messiah, right? You know, talk about failed, failed expectations. They're, they're going to Jerusalem. They're on their way to Jerusalem. He's saying, I'm going to be killed and raised from the dead. And they're asking, what does he mean by being raised from the dead? What does that mean? And at the ascension, at the ascension, they're saying, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? See, they're wrong expectations. They think that's what's going to happen, and it's old orthodoxy, new reality. He's got, uh, his kingdom is a different sort of kingdom. So, um, so, so John, I think John doubts Jesus. Here's some other references, Romans 9, 32 um, Isaiah 8 is the whole rock of stumbling thing. 1 Peter 2, 8. And John 20, 18. Those are all references. I, I wrote a whole record about this. I, I, my, I, my, wife, my wife said, could you please start talking about something else? Because for years I talked about this. So John, you know, in my view, John doubts Jesus. And Jesus affirms John which is another indication of what kind of person Jesus is. He's doubted by John. When John's messengers leave, he doesn't say, what an idiot. How could he have doubted me? God, my cousin? What, you know, because that's what I would, I would have said and probably what you would have said. But after John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. Would you go out into the desert to see a reed swayed by the wind? If not, would you go out to see a man dressed in fine clothes? He's kind of referring to Herod. No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But would you go out to see a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one of whom it's written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way for you. That's Malachi. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And then on it goes. Um... So there's that, there is that uh, small, I think, structure within the big structure because we, ha- we need to learn to listen to structure. And to listen to structure, you've got to read a whole book at a time, you know, like they do at this, at this crazy church. You know, in this church, they read the whole Gospel of Luke in one sitting. Who does that? Right? Who does that? People that really love the Bible, I guess. I don't know. So, but l- let's, let's look at, a lar- at the larger structure. Um, I don't know if you've ever stopped to ask yourself this question we sort of think, okay, Jesus starts his ministry, chooses the disciples, just sort of walks around the fields with butterflies and says nice things until he goes to Jerusalem and then they kill him. It's not that simple. And there, there is a flow to this ministry that I think really helps us understand him. 
Fair enough? So that's, that's what I've outlined for you, for you here. Um, ministry really begins at, at the baptism. Um, but we know from the other gospels that he had preached, he had been teaching in the synagogue before that. Before he called the disciples, he'd been doing his thing. He doesn't need them to do his thing. It's a pr- they are privileged to be invited to be a part of what he's doing, right? It's part of his graciousness that invites them to, to come and be with him. Uh, but, but that's the, the baptism, uh, you know, it begins at the baptism. Uh, he, he moves to Capernaum, uh, calls the core of the disciples, begins moving through the villages, preaching and teaching, picks Matthew that we just saw. And his band of followers grows. Now that's, that's kind of phase one of the ministry. It starts like this. If you graph it, the ministry begins and there's a huge popularity spike, right? Mark is most interested in this. Only in Mark does Jesus say, have a boat ready so the people don't push me into the lake, right? And we know the woman uh, with the issue of blood. There are people that are just crowding him. And, 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 you know, Jesus says, who touched me? And the disciples go, what are, you, what are you talking about? Everybody's touching you. No, somebody touched me. So th- there's initially this big spike. Um, but then phase two happens. He starts talking. And uh, it doesn't really go well. We just, uh, the, the, his, na- his, his ministry is paradoxical in nature. It's unorthodox. You know, he reaches out to this Gentile centurion. Um, we just saw, you know, saw this. Uh, his, his, uh, what's his standard synagogue sermon? Jesus' standard synagogue sermon is God reaches out to Gentiles before he reaches out to Jews. How do you think that goes over? And John, uh, in John, when he's in the synagogue in Capernaum, that's where he talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. These people are kosher. They don't even eat pork, right? I believe... There are people who got physically sick when he said that, okay? And he has the, the perfect opportunity to explain himself. You know, the disciples are leaving, right? John tells us his disciples said, that's a hard saying. We're out of here. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, are you going to leave too? And actually, the way it should be translated, he says, you aren't going to leave too, are you? That's really the, the nuance of that word. And he has a perfect ex- a chance to explain himself. And then what does he say? No, my blood is real drink, and my body is real food. So you go, oh, okay. So what happens is that popularity starts to erode. You know, it goes along. Then phase four, uh, he, he starts his, uh, after, the, after the confession of Peter, and again, that, the, the confession of Peter happens before they leave to go to Jerusalem. It's established in, in Caesarea Philippi that he's the Messiah. It, you know, who do men say that I am? Blah, 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 blah. Who do you say that I am? You're him. Okay? You're the Messiah. It's been spoken. Okay? And then what does he do? He says, okay, this is what you've got to understand. Messiah's going to suffer many things to be crucified. And Peter says, it'll never happen to you. That will never happen to you. So you start, you know, the roller coaster ride. So they, they leave, um, they leave for uh, uh, Jerusalem, 951. He resolutely sets his face to Jerusalem. And when he enters, sometimes we think, oh, there's this huge crowd of people that are following Jesus. No, there's a huge crowd of people that are coming into Jerusalem for Passover. Is there a group of people around him? Absolutely. Are there disciples saying, you know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord? Absolutely. But this whole big crowd isn't following him. They're all coming into Jerusalem for Passover. And, and there's this momentary, you know, bump bump in the crowd. If all those people were there for Jesus, believe me, the Romans would have handled it. Since the sorrow untold As you look down the road At the clamoring crowd drawing near Feel the heat of the day As you look down the way Hear the shouts of Hosanna the King O daughter of Zion Your time's drawing near Don't forsake Him Oh don't pass it by On the foal of a donkey As the prophets had said Passing by you 
he rides on to die Come now, little foal, though you're not very old Come and bear your first burden bravely Walk so softly upon all the coats and the palms Bear the one on your back, oh so gently Midst the shouting so loud and the joy of the crowd There is one who is riding in silence For he knows the ones here will be fleeing in fear When their shepherd is taken away it by on the foal of a donkey as the prophets had said passing by you he rides on to die soon the thorn cursed ground will bring forth a crown and this Jesus will seem to be beaten but he'll conquer alone both the shroud and the stone And the prophecies will be completed Oh, daughter of Zion Your time's drawing near Don't forsake him, oh, don't pass it by On the foal of a donkey As the prophets had said Passing by you he rides on to die On the foal of a donkey As the prophets had said Passing by you He rides on to die Well, we need to pause the session right here, but there is much more on the way. We're always glad to read your reactions to this program. You can send your comments or questions to us through our website. Go to michaelcard.com and scroll down to find contact. We look forward to reading what you post to michaelcard.com. And you can extend the impact of the teaching you've heard from Michael. Check out his insights through his books, his music, and Bible conferences. Explore all that's waiting for you at michaelcard.com. Well, coming up, more music and conversation in just a moment here in the studio with Michael Card. Coming up next week in the studio with Michael Card, Michael will open the word and teach on the life of Jesus. And there'll be guest conversations and plenty of music woven throughout the hour that will inspire you to follow Christ in new and deeper ways. The instruments are tuned and the Bible is open, so make sure you join us for this unforgettable session. Look for the post and invite other like minds to hear this program on Apple, Spotify, or Google Play. All the details at michaelcard.com. Mike, I know you join me in this and thanking our listeners who have responded to this podcast, and especially those who subscribe to the podcast and leave a review there at Apple Podcasts and other places as well. That really helps uh, gain new listeners. Yeah, it do, it really it really does, uh, and our that input means a lot. It it helps. Of course, we don't like you to just say mean things, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, especially telling us what you know if there are other guests you want us to have on or other subjects you want sure. us to look at. That's yep. very helpful. Well, we're going to reach into the archive in a moment and hear an interview we did with J.I. Packer, who's now wow. with the Lord. And wow. that's coming up momentarily. But, I, you know, this is part of our creativity segment, as we label it here on the program. Can we talk about that for a moment? Uh, here we are. We're recording this podcast today. You're in Nashville. I'm in Chicago. And we're on Zoom together with producer Joe here. Uh, creativity during COVID has got a whole new uh, spin to it, doesn't it? Well, I mean, COVID's been a real, uh, it's made uh, certain demands on us to be more creative. I mean, for me, um, the the isolation has been a chance to write two books. So, you know, I don't want to say I'm thankful for COVID, but what I want to say is God uses everything, especially bad stuff. So, uh, you know, look at the creative ways people have found to do church. How many people have tuned, mm -hmm. tuned into a church service now? Not that I certainly don't want us to keep doing church that way, but 
a lot of people are are hearing sermons and and singing in worship who probably you know never have before. God God uses everything, especially the bad stuff, and and uh, it's great to get to hear someone like Packer talk about creativity in this context because yeah. uh, we're all we're doing our best to be creative, aren't we? Right, indeed. Well, again, just thinking about the whole uh, coronavirus time here that we're living through, and it, it's you know, there have been a lot of negative effects, obviously. Yeah. But there's been some positives. And I think the creative out- outlet has been really interesting to watch and observe. And even uh, once in a while, come up with my own ideas. And you have ideas as well. Absolutely. Well, after the interview with J.I. Packer, which we're going to turn to now, Michael is going to share a little concert segment with us recorded on location in Waukegan, Illinois. So stay tuned for that. But let's reach back into the archive from a number of years ago when we talk with J.I. Packer here on the program. I specifically had a question for Dr. Packer. Um, just this summer, in, in my own interaction, uh, our racial reconciliation group, one of my pastors, uh, who was absolute John Coltrane fanatic, had mm-hmm. given me a number of his CDs and said, now listen to these, I want you to uh, you know, appreciate these. And I found it difficult to learn a new musical language. And when you told me that Dr. Packer was a, a jazz Classical jazz. Fan, yes. Yeah. Uh, and now that he's here with us, Dr. Packer, welcome back. Uh, my question to you was, what was it like for you to learn a new musical language? Oh, well, what we're talking about here is something that happened to me when I was very young in my teens. Um, and it never felt like learning a new language. Just for the record, it felt much more like um, learning to use a language which um, already I'd heard other people use, which had grabbed my heart, which seemed to me um, a meaningful musical language, and which never presented me with the kind of problems that John Coltrane, frankly, presents to me mm-hmm. as he does to you. Um, see, what happened was that when I was 13, that was a long, long time ago, I was a boy doing my school homework, and the radio was on, and as a filler, actually, between two programs, I heard a record made by Jelly Roll Morton and his Red Hot Peppers in 1926, And it turned me inside out, to use the old language that we used in those days. It sent me completely. (laughs) It took my breath away. I went over and stood by the radio, um, which was up on a shelf, incidentally. I put my ear to the radio and just uh, allowed it to wash over me and gasped, because it was music that was opening a door, I felt, to... um, a world of brighter colors and richer experience than the wor- world that I ordinarily lived in. Mm. That was me at the age of 13. I'm rather older now, and um, I know how people have described this uh, language of early jazz, um, and I'm very happy to go with the description of it as a la- musical language. Very simple in itself um, in terms of the Western musical heritage, but it has soul. Well, what happened was that I bought bought myself an an old clarinet and began to learn to Mm. make these musical sounds myself. And for a few dizzy weeks, I played in a jazz band, and it Mm. was a great experience. Mm. Oh, Dr. Packer, you and Michael are the musicians then. I don't have any uh, gift in that direction at all. But I I do have to ask you this, uh, in light of what you've just said, um, we want to be bound by Christ and his word, of course, but I sometimes feel that perhaps Christians are a bit narrow in what we are willing to accept as uh, as, a, as a God-given creative gift. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, I do, and I think you're absolutely right to feel it. What I think I detect as I move around is that because we evangelicals lay such emphasis on being under the authority of Scripture and under the authority of Christ and therefore not innovating in the way that um, liberal Christian thinkers have so often done, but simply following the lead of what's there, 
we, 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 we find it hard to appreciate the essence of creativity, which is that using the gift that God has given you, you bring into being something that wasn't there before at all. That's creativity. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's being a, uh, Tolkien had a word for it. It's being a sub-creator under God, doing what you do only because of the abilities given you and the strength he supplies, but actually causing something to be that wasn't there before. Tolkien, when he talked about being a sub-creator, was surely thinking of his creation of uh, Middle-earth and the Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. And all the languages that he created with Oh, them. yes, yes, he created, that's right, he created languages to go, um, to go with this world that he'd um, generated out of his own imagination. It's a very grand-scale piece of creative work, and, uh, of course, you, we can begin to see it on film now. Uh, well, when you're, when, when you're playing jazz, you're doing that. Jazz is an improvising art. You bring to it uh, your knowledge of uh, musical keys and key changes and of the particular tunes that you're going to uh, work with and the harmonies that, um, that, that go with them. I was, an old, I was an old-fashioned, early jazz-type player, and it was a wonderful experience. It was like um, being in a string quartet, I suppose, where you hear around you all that's happening, all the music that's being created, and you help it to continue. Um, only in this, in this case, um, the music that's being created, all of it has a certain improvisatory, creative character. You're not just following notes, as you are when a string quartet plays. Um, you are working with a tune, but the tune is the springboard for all of you. And, of course, people have different uh, and varying motivations as they do that, but when you get right down to it, it, it's a spiritual thing, isn't it, Michael? I mean, uh, let me get Michael's reaction to what you've shared, Dr. Pat. Well, I, I, I definitely believe that creativity at that degree is, is an act or can be an act of worship. Uh, and and I also lo- love Tolkien's idea, this sub-creator idea, because uh, frankly, a lot of the creativity books that I've read uh, in Christendom have this sort of blurred idea that we we create out of nothing the way God does, which is completely nonsense. Right. Uh, uh, childlike imitation is what we can do. I think Karl Barth talks about that in a in a great way. Yes, that's that's a very good way, I think, to put it. That's uh, a focusing of what I was trying to get at yeah. by what in what I said about uh, jazz improvisation being controlled mm-hmm. by the tune and the harmonies and the whole frame of what's going on and what what the other instrumentalists are doing and so forth. Well, it sounds like we need to do but, a record. <laughs> but when you're being creative in this way, or when any musician is being creative and improvisatory, you are actually expressing what's in your own heart willy-nilly. Mm-hmm. Dr. Packer, we, uh, of course, have to recognize uh, people have various musical tastes. That's always going to be the case, but it just seems like we need to give each other as believers, as followers of Christ, a bit more room sometimes to innovate, uh, as you use that word. Uh, in music, we tend to regard particular styles as the proper styles and nothing else is proper. Well, when it comes to to, to uh, creating hymns and songs to the Lord, as we all know, there are different ways of doing it and different musical idioms that are employed. And the easiest thing in the world is for us sinners to go sinful and we dig our toes in and we insist. There's only one way of doing it right, and it isn't being done that way at the moment. How many so times has that been said? Da, 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 da. <laughs> and, so, and congregations are split over this, as yes. you know, the old hymns versus the modern praise songs and all that kind of thing. Dr. Packer, one last question for you along these lines. Um, I think uh, what you've shared with us today is marvelous, and I I thank you for taking the time to do it, but it just impresses me that, um, admittedly, um, you are up there in years, and yet you have this attitude, and yet that's not the normal course for people. Normally, the older we get, the more rigid we become. Well, I think that if we're walking with the Lord, and certainly if we 
are constantly in the company of younger people, as I have been, you see, right up to this time. I'm, though I'm technically retired, I'm still teaching at Regent College, and so interacting all the time with people in their 20s. Um, well, it does act as, uh, uh, how can I say, as a hedge against becoming rigid and uh, unduly narrow in the way that um, the way that you were that you were expressing, Wayne. Maybe there is it a does fountain mean of you. You've got to keep opening your mind over and over again, uh, reminding yourself, well, now these people they are expressing their integrity in what they're doing as much as I was expressing my integrity when I played old-fashioned jazz, um, New Orleans and Chicago style, uh, back in 1944, which is when I had my short spell in the jazz band. Mm. And they, they, have as much, they have as much right to do their thing to the glory of God as ever I had to do mine. Well said. Well, thank you for speaking that freedom into the subject. We need that so much. Thank you, Dr. Packer. Well, it's a pleasure to share what I've got to share. Yes. And may the Lord keep us all young in the sense that I was trying to express. Mm. El Shaddai, El Shaddai El Elyonna Adonai Age to age, you're still the same By the power of the name El Shaddai, El Shaddai Erechim Kana Adonai We will praise and lift you high El Shaddai Through your love and through the ram You saved the son of Abraham And by the power of your hand Turned the sea into dry land and to the outcast on her knees You were the God who really sees And by your might You set your children free Let's sing together, ready? El Shaddai, El Shaddai El Elyonah Adonai Age to age you're still the same by the power of the name El Shaddai, El Shaddai Erechim Kana Adonai We will praise and lift you high El Shaddai And through the years you made it clear That the time of Christ was near Though the people fail to see What Messiah ought to be And though your word contained the plan They just could not understand That your most awesome work was done Through the frailty of your Son Ready? Sing together. two or three more uh, worship songs uh, that we all, all sing together. But before we go into that time, I, I just want to thank the choir and most especially Marilyn Walters one more time for helping us.
Uh, I want to dedicate this song to uh, those of you who were dragged here kicking and screaming. I know some of, I know some of your, your friends who love you and mean well uh, dragged you here. Uh, and you know what? Feel welcome. You are most welcome here. Uh, and this song's for you because this, this is as best uh, I've been able uh, to say the gospel in a song. Okay? And, uh, and we'll sing this song together too. But this is for you. A sign shall be given A virgin will conceive A human baby bearing undiminished deity The glory of the nations A light for all to see And hope His warm reality. Sing together, ready?
song to conclude this session in the studio with Michael Card. If this time together has been valuable for you, please take a moment and pass along your comments or post a review of this podcast. You can pass along the link for this podcast to a friend. Search for Michael Card on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or on Spotify. And send your comments or questions through us through our website. Go to michaelcard.com and scroll down to find contact. We look forward to reading what you post to michaelcard.com. For all of us on the team, thanks for listening to this edition of In the Studio with Michael Carr.